0: Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul.
1: Today
0: for Song of the Soul, we'll be visiting with John Sheldon, an English native taking part in a nationwide gathering of Quakers held this year in Rhode Island. Often, my guests are sharing their own music, but John's career and passion in music has been mostly in teaching, leading, and conducting music, and so he'll be drawing from the vast stores of the musical passions that run so deep in his veins. John is on site for the week-long Friends General Conference gathering to train and conduct a choir performance of The Fire and the Hammer, of which we'll have a brief taste later on. John Sheldon joins us today in Kingston, Rhode Island, before a live audience. Thank you so much for joining me for Song of the Soul.
2: Oh, It's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me, Mark.
0: Have you been in the. US often you know do you hop back and forth across the pond or do you mainly stay on location over in the UK?
2: Well hopping back and forth would be putting it a bit strongly, but I've been to the US quite a few times uh, but mostly based in the UK.
0: Now I know that a year or so ago for New England yearly meeting you came in and you did you do the same thing training a choir and getting them up and going That's right. That's right. What do you do for your full-time job, what, or what have you done, I guess?
2: Well, yes, have is probably right in terms of full-time. I've been a music teacher in school for most of my life. I worked for five years at Woodbrook, the Quaker Study Center in England, and since then I've trained as a massage therapist, and I do quite a lot of, well, I do a lot of massage work. I take opportunities that I can to sing with people, and especially with friends.
0: So if you get together with a group of people to sing, what kind of music are you likely to pick out? I mean, is it an old English ballad or is it something classical or what's your taste?
2: Really just anything. I'm sorry about that, but... It depends on the group and what sort of, what their abilities are and what we want to sing. So I'm happy to take music from really any source, whether it's folk music or classical music or Broadway or wherever. I'm classically trained and so most of my musical passions lie in that area. But I'm very open to other sorts of music and really love lots of music.
0: And you play some instruments or have played?
2: Mm, Yeah, I play the piano and the harpsichord.
0: I don't suppose there's any recordings of you out there playing them?
2: I don't think so. No, no, not that are publicly available, certainly. (laughs) (laughs) On the black market, you're saying.
0: Okay. Well, give us an example of some of the music that's part of your Song of the Soul. What would you like to include today?
2: The first piece that I'd like to share, really, is a piece which... Not the earliest music that I ever heard, but certainly a piece which I can remember hearing as a child and which has followed me all the way through my life pretty well. And that's something from Handel's Messiah. I first remember hearing it in an old lady's house. She had gas lamps and a fire burning in the grate and great cloths over a table, a real Victorian place. And that we'd gone to visit and the radio was on. They were chatting away, and what they were waiting for was the Alleluia chorus, because this was what, you know, really turned them on. And I just remember that very vividly as a childhood experience. And when I grew up, uh, Messiah was all around. And then I've studied it, and I've conducted it on numerous occasions and performed in it. The more I get to know it, the more deeply I'm impressed by it as a piece. I mean, it was composed in a very short space of time. It's got enormous vitality and integrity There's no peace, no part of that which ever tires So I've not chosen the Alleluia Chorus But there's a special moment right near the beginning after the overture Where the tenor sings, comfort ye my people And I think at that point it's a moment of rest It's a moment of comfort and joy And you've got stretching in front of you these, uh, these hours of music So that's what I've chosen for, this comfort ye my people
0: from Handel's Messiah for John Sheldon's Song of the Soul. Messiah, comfort ye, my people. John Sheldon is sharing his song of the soul here with us today. We're at the Friends General Conference Gathering here in Kingston, Rhode Island, quite a way out of my normal neighborhood. We've got a group of people here in the studio. Can you prove it? Yeah! <laughs> So, John, you talked about Messiah. I wonder if your experience of the Messiah is different than what I have of it being in the United States. I used to live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Each year, around Christmas time, they had a big thing where people would come in, a, a large audience, and they'd split us into parts. And we would sing, join in, follow, actually, doing Handel's Messiah. Does that happen over in jolly old England?
2: It certainly does. The tradition that I grew up with uh, Messiah in the north of England was of chapels putting on a performance with an augmented choir. And so the choirs would come from all around to join in. And yes, we also have ones where people can just come along and sing it. A
0: couple things about what you mentioned earlier. You said that you heard this piece that we just played while visiting an old lady's house how old
2: was the old lady? Is she as old as you? <laughs> she probably <laughs> probably. It was, was a few years it ago. Wasn't, I was a little boy, and so it was uh, at least sixty years ago. So I guess she was much the same age as me. I have no idea now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, give us some more music of your song of the soul. What music speaks your soul's journey?
2: Well, as I said earlier, I'm classically trained. I went to study music at the Music College in Manchester, which was near where I lived, and I studied piano there. I had a very good teacher. I was felt very blessed with my tuition. But part way through the course, one of the other teachers came along and invited us to listen to the harpsichord. And there were a big group of people, about a 100 of us, and we went to listen to this harpsichord introduction and recital. And the teacher said, if anybody's interested in playing the harpsichord, you should just come along and tell me, and we'll see what can be done. Well, I thought this was an absolutely wonderful sound, and I thought, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. And I delayed a little. For some reason, I eventually I crept up to the teacher and said, I, I suppose you're booked up now, but I'd really love to do this. And he said, no, nobody else has come along. And you're, you know we can make it possible for you to learn the harpsichord so i did but i mean it taught me as a music teacher how certain sounds and resonances speak to some people and not to others and that sound had grabbed me but not 99 other musicians who were in the room as well so i've been very lucky to have a harpsichord and i really love jean philippe rameau and i've chosen well, three pieces, three short pieces from Suite of Piz. Uh, they're two rigaudons and tambourine. Um, they're pieces that I play. Um, they're full of life and energy. They're all three dances. Um, there's plenty of spirit in these pieces, I think.
0: Jean-Philippe Rameau. The songs were Rigodon 1 and 2 and Tambourin. So I don't know classical music, John, but I do know French, so I can pronounce it like I should know what it's about. <laughs> what does that music say to you when you hear it? Is it just a plain emotion? Are there thoughts, identity, other things that go with it?
2: Well, I love the music for its own sake, and the spirit of that music is one of life and energy, and the spirit of the dance, and that's what I love about it. How did you grow up religiously, spiritually?
0: What was your home like?
2: My parents were agnostic and they sent me to Sunday school, Methodist Sunday school.
0: Do those go together being agnostic and going to Methodist Sunday school?
2: They sent me there. It was I think and I don't think I'm the only child who was sent to Sunday school so that the parents could have a quiet Sunday afternoon. <laughs> So I did that for as long as I could, and then I stopped doing it. A little bit later at school, I met the daughter of a Methodist minister and subsequently married her. So I've got quite strong relationships with the Methodist church. But my grandfather had become a Quaker later in life, and he told me about it. And when I was quite a little boy, I remember being intrigued by what he told me, and he did take me to meeting a few times I can remember sitting in Quaker meeting there in Stockport, being aware of the faces around me, and there were some beautiful, smiling, sort of ethereal faces that I remember.
0: So your parents, though, you said were agnostic. How did that actually live out in your household? Does that mean, I'm kind of stunned that they would send you to Sunday school, considering that, why did they do that? Was it just because they wanted to get rid of you for a while, or was there more to it?
2: Well, I think they did. were happy to have I mean, the very loving and happy family life, no doubt about that. But I think they were quite pleased for us to be out on Sunday afternoon, my sister and me. In terms of integrity, my father certainly would describe himself as an agnostic, but he, had, uh, he was a conscientious objector in the Second World War, had contact with friends, had a sense of what the religious life was like. Maybe he wanted us to have something of that in us, I don't know. I never asked. Give us some more music for your Song of the Soul, John. The next piece takes us away from the classical scene. I was in my sort of middle to late teens when the Beatles appeared, and they were from Liverpool, which was not very far from where we lived. I had listened to popular music and thought it was pretty dross, you know, because I was a bit of a classical snob. I can tell you about that as a precocious teenager. I didn't go for much popular music, but I listened to the Beatles and I was amazed. I thought that their music was, it really took hold of me. Every new piece was different from the pieces that had gone before. I was just bowled over by them. So, I've chosen the number which finishes the second side of Abbey Road, if you know what a side is, in uh, with an LP, <laughs> <laughs> um, And that's, I want you, she's so heavy. There's very little meaning in the words, I want you. But the reason I've chosen this piece is because I just think it's so groovy. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, it's a very long piece, actually. We're starting it partway through the end is a typical Beatles end in the, in the sense that you just don't know what's going to happen. It goes on and on and on and on with constantly repeated variations and then suddenly it stops. <laughs>
0: Anybody who didn't recognize that has lived in a cave for the last century. It's the Beatles. I want you. She's so heavy. John Sheldon selected it for his song of the soul. He's sharing with us here today. Again, we're at the campus of University of Rhode Island in Kingston, Rhode Island at a gathering called the Friends General Conference Gathering. Whole bunch of wonderful people and John Sheldon, amongst other things he's doing here, has organized a choir of people to perform a piece called The Fire and the Hammer. We'll hear more about that later. But he brings immense and wide and diverse experience performing, working with people in different sorts of music. And particularly I wanted to ask you, John, right away about the Leaveners. You've been part of that from I think maybe the origin of the group. Could you tell folks what The Leaveners is and what your role has been with that group?
2: Well, The Leaveners is a youth charity, really, a performing arts charity. It was set up in the late 70s by a group of friends who... And by friends, you mean Quakers, Quakers, right? Yes, that's right. Quakers who saw a need to reach out and to leaven the yearly meeting somewhat. This was done by putting on musicals, youth theatre pieces. Um, Tony Biggin wrote the music, and Alec Davison, who was really the brainchild, I think, behind the whole thing, did the words. And every summer, young people would come together and work on these pieces and perform them. I wasn't in right at the very beginning, but I became involved pretty soon after the beginning, and I've been involved as a volunteer in many projects since then. Such was the effect of the dancing and so on of these young people that the adults in the early meeting got a bit jealous and wanted something writing for them. And so Tony and Alec did a number of pieces which uh, were really written for adult involvement. The most significant one was The Gates of Greenham, which was about the story of the women and their witness on Greenham Common against cruise missiles that was performed in the Royal Festival Hall It's often thought of as being the largest gathering of Quakers in the 20th century in Britain.
0: You're listening to Song of the Soul. This is Northern Spirit Radio Production. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, your host for Song of the Soul. Our website is northernspiritradio.org. Northern, because that's the end of the U.S. that I live in, the northern part spirit because that's what we want to raise up for all of our guests and for our listeners and radio because I've got a face made for radio. <laughs> .org uh-huh. So northernspiritradio.org you can find our productions of the last 7 years including links to all of our guests You can download, listen to our programs that way. You can also get them via iTunes, other ways. And you can find a place to leave us comments. We love hearing from you. And if you want to make a donation, you can do that online. There's many ways for us to connect. So, again, northernspiritradio.org. We have with us today John Sheldon sharing his Song of the Soul. We might as well go right into another song for you, John, because you've picked out a wealth and diversity of music for your Song of the Soul.
2: Yes, well, I think it is pretty diverse, and I'm not sure that I'd describe the following as a song, really. I'd like to share a part of the War Requiem of uh, Benjamin Britten. This piece was written for the opening celebrations of Coventry Cathedral 50 years ago this year. Coventry Cathedral had been bombed and was rebuilt with very modern designs and using the great artists of the time and so Britain really had to respond to the greatness of the of the project of rebuilding Coventry which had been pretty effectively destroyed by the war and he had the idea of bringing together the requiem for the dead the Roman Catholic requiem with the poems of Wilfred Owen, juxtaposing those. And one of the things that Owen said, he was a First World War poet, and he died in the trenches just before the armistice. He said in his poetry he didn't think that it would bring any consolation to anybody in his generation or immediately afterwards because they were so involved with the war but that he hoped that it would be consolation for future generations. And he said, all a poet can do today is warm. And those words are also at the top of the score. So the passage that I'd like to share with you starts with the baritone solo. Be slowly lifted up, thou long black arm, great gun towering toward heaven. And then it goes on. But when thy spell be cast, complete and whole, may God curse thee and cut thee from our soul. And this leads into the Dia's Ere, our second appearance of the Dia's Ere, and followed by, hopefully, a few bars of the Lacrimosa, our wonderful soprano solo, sung on this recording by Galina Vishnevskaya, because this is the Britain recording. Um, He'd brought together significantly three soloists galina vishnevskaya from russia dietrich fischer from germany and peter pears from england to represent the coming together of those nations which had been at war so be slowly lifted up
0: From War Requiem, Be Slowly Lifted Up, Thou Long Black Arm, that's written by Benjamin Britton. You mentioned that your father was a conscience Mm. objector. Because you're connected with Quakers now, I assume that you're fairly close to that same ideal. Being in England during the war with the bombing of Britain, the whole immediate threat, I'm assuming that conscience objectors were not very popular people.
2: That's right. And I know that my father, who became a, a local counsellor and did a fair amount of local work, often carried with him the idea that people were uncomfortable, that he'd been a conscientious objector. However, he carried himself with considerable integrity and the people that he met and dealt with all respected him and, and loved him, really.
0: Have you written a lot of music or any music or some music? Is it always as a conductor or as a person who's playing the music that you've had the role? Or is there music that is, you know, has John Sheldon's name on it?
2: I've written some music. It's really been used mostly in school or for groups that I've been leading. Uh, none of it's published. And I enjoy the act of writing, but I'm mostly involved with performing. Let's share some more music for your Song of the Soul, John. So, we're down to some more popular music now. I mentioned earlier that I met and married the daughter of the local Methodist minister. We went to school together. We got married, and we went for our honeymoon to Austria. I'm not a romantic person, I think, particularly, and the idea of having a song, our, our song was uh, not the sort of thing which appealed to me particularly. But everywhere we went in Austria, Frank Sinatra was singing Strangers in the Night, and it has sort of become our song. So this is a really lovely, popular song, and uh, it speaks to me on a different level from other things, but it speaks to me nonetheless powerful for that.
3: Strangers in the night
0: It's a wonderful piece. By Frank Sinatra, Strangers in the Night. We're sharing that, of course, because John Sheldon selected it as part of his Song of the Soul. Frank Sinatra. I think of as my father's generation. At a certain point I was listening to it, maybe I was in junior high school. I had a radio station I tuned to, and my stepsister who was three years older, was mocking me for listening to a stupid she says, Why don't you you've got a radio, why don't you tune to a good station? Frank Sinatra is so passe. Did those kind of pressures to pick a side and settle down in the musical world, did that never affect you? I mean, as you mentioned yourself, you were a bit of a classical snob at one point. Did you get over it or do you still cling to that?
2: I don't think you can really survive teaching teenagers music if you retain your classical snobbery. <laughs> and um I quickly, when I started teaching, I was very happy to get involved with the rock scene and to encourage the youngsters who I was teaching and who were in my school to be creative in, with rock music. So that's important to me as well, very much so. We
0: haven't got a tremendous amount of time ahead of us, so I think we're going to keep going on your music. What's next for your
2: Song of the Soul? The next one is from The Fire and the Hammer, which we'll be performing later as part of this gathering. It's with music by Tony Biggin and words by Alec Davison. And I've chosen Wait on the World. George Fox was an extraordinary man in so many ways, but he really saw in the way this song is written It talks about, we are in covenant with creation, and there is a unity through all things. And then it says later, but it is broke with excess and greed. Then we are strangers to life and wanton, never in touch with the depths that need to wait on the world. It's extraordinary to think that this young shepherd boy, 350 years or so ago, Saw that in his life at that time. I just wonder what he would have thought of our lives these days with the uh, excess and greed which surrounds us. We are in covenant with
4: creation. What silence brings, keeping that bond and the world sustains us. But it is broke with excess and greed, then we are strangers to love. are in touch with the depths that need. Flows on us like the showers Lilies and roses come sweet and clean Each of us needs to attend his calling Labour with love in the field Conscience or reaping harvest, chosen to plow or to break.
0: on the World. It's from The Fire and the Hammer, music by Tony Biggin, and words by Alec Davidson. And this is for John Sheldon's Song of the Soul. He's been involved in preparing this week I'm at the University of Rhode Island, Kingston, Rhode Island, for a week-long gathering of Quakers called Friends General Conference. He's been organizing a choir that's going to perform in a few more days. And so that must be a, a nerve-wracking, or maybe it's energizing, or you've done it a number of times, trying to get together this raw material into a uh, performing choir in less than a week. Are you just I'm
2: the man of steel that you can do this? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, I just love making music with people, and you never know who's going to turn up. Really, my aim is to make something worthwhile, whatever it is, and I'm very, very blessed this week because we've got an excellent choir, a lot of experienced singers, and it's been a joy to work with them, and I'm sure that the performance on Friday will be exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, we're
0: thankful that you're here shepherding us together to make this music. I'm very eager to hear it when it comes up, the whole production. How long of a production is it? How often have you done this? Is this dozens of times you've put together choirs, or what's it like?
2: I've done this several times before, this particular piece. It lasts for about 90 minutes altogether. It's got um, narration in it as well as music. Much of the words from George Fox, um, it tells the story of his early life up to the point when he saw great people to be gathered from Pendle Hill.
0: And for those listeners out there who have no idea who George Fox is, he's I guess you'd say the founder of the Religious Society of Friends, also known as Quakers. So in the mid-1600s, he came on the scene, gathered people together, and out of that arose what eventually came to be called, as an insult actually, Quakers, continuing until this day, along with a lot of other amazing groups, the diggers and the levelers, the fifth monarchy men, and many others of that time. So the fire and the hammer largely from words of George Fox. A little bit more music for us. What do you have next?
2: Well, I've got some piano music because the the piano is an instrument that I love. The piece that I've chosen is one that I play. I think it's an extraordinary piece, really. I heard it... Um, this is uh, from La Sonata that Schubert wrote. He knew that he was dying when he wrote it, and the slow movement... Really seems to me to be some sort of picture of heaven. I heard this particular recording on the radio uh, a few months ago and I was just bowled over by it. It's by Stephen Kovasevich, who I knew when he was a young man as Stephen Bishop, but it's a performance of an extraordinary piece and a performance of extraordinary integrity, really.
0: Schubert, Piano Sonata 21, his last in B-flat, performed by Stefan Kovacevic. How's that look? I think so. So it naturally comes to me, given your deep connection with music, why do you choose to hang around with Quakers who are largely silent. You know, one of the things that I, I've heard a number of people who, when they came to choosing a religious home, they had to choose a place where they were the singing the music was part of the service mm. is that a desert for you because we go into an hour where there's no music happening
2: isn't that <laughs> <laughs> well I, it's a very very interesting question and i guess music and silence are really woven together so it's never really been a problem for me because i having been involved with music when I've not been at worship and I'm grateful to be in my silent Quaker meeting, it feels like a refreshing place to be. But it's an interesting question for me on another level because... Um, when I first joined Friends in my late 20s at a meeting in at Blackheath meeting in London, I was immediately scooped up to perform with their music-making group, and we did concerts and so on in the meeting house. And actually, it was music which brought me together into the community of Friends, in a way, just as other Friends may have been doing the gardening or I don't know what other... You know, the Quakers are well known for having a lot of committees Well, it was music which uh, involved me there, and I've always, throughout my Quaker life, been involved with Quaker music making. That's why it's an interesting question.
0: We've got time for just one last song, John. How can we finish off your Song of the Soul?
2: Well, sometimes people ask me, as you tried to earlier on, who my favorite composer is, and I always resist that. But there is one composer who has had a knack over and over again over the years of suddenly grasping me by the throat and making me cry because he speaks so directly to me, and that's Beethoven. I first got to know him when I was a teenager and struggled with the Ninth Symphony. People in my family were listening to this music and thinking it was wonderful, and I couldn't hear anything at all, but I determined to try and understand it, and I did. And I would like to have shared some of the Ninth Symphony, but in the end I'm going to share part of the Seventh Symphony, partly because I've got a recording of Bernstein conducting this, Bernstein was at Tanglewood in 1990 when we were there, and we had heard him in a concert just a few days before. And we had it was a wonderful experience, but then we were moving on. And then a few days later, he gave this concert with music by Britain and the Seventh Symphony of Beethoven, and it was his last musical performance. And so, this is the very last part of the symphony, the end of the symphony. And, you know, it's an amazing way for somebody to finish their career. But far more than that is the Beethoven actually in it because Beethoven, as you know, struggled. He was deaf at a relatively early age and certainly when he wrote this music. And it's a wonderfully joyous piece. But just before the end, where I hope we shall pick it up, he goes back down into those depths and he explores and it feels as though he's in a labyrinth and how is he going to break out? And eventually it does break out into the final wonderful dance, which is the main theme of the last movement. So this piece is so typical of Beethoven, it just tells us what it's like to be a human being and alive, and the desperate times that we go through, but the sheer joy and exuberance which is there waiting for us if we can only just grasp
0: it. Thank you so much for joining us, John. It's been moving to hear your music and your musical journey, and I'm so thankful for the gift of the Fire and the Hammer that you've brought to the Friends General Conference gathering here in Rhode Island. It's just been a joy to start to get to know you. I look forward to many more years and many more songs ahead.
2: Well, it's been a real joy to be part of this. Thank you very much, Mark, for asking me.
0: We'll end today's Song of the Soul with John Sheldon by listening to Beethoven's Symphony No. 7 finale.